0: Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Cambia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Cambia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Monday, July the 27th, 2020, titled Academy Discussing Canceling 2021 Oscars. We're glad that you're joining us. And remember, guys, if you're listening to this podcast, you can also get a comment or question on the live questions part of the show by simply using the tip link in the description of this podcast at StreamElements.com slash MovieBlogTV slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show and you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And for now, let's get to the episode. You know, Rob... Tenet has been one of these films that has uh, had a little bit of drama going on around it, right? It's had a bit of drama going on around it. Now, the drama continued on this morning when we started seeing that on Regal's website, uh, Regal's website started listing, there was no official announcement at the time, but Regal's website started listing Tenet releasing in their theaters on September 4th, John. which is a little bit sooner than I think some of us have heard about. However, that has evolved a little bit because there is now word coming out. Now, let's let's, let's take one step back for a second. Let's take one step back for just a quick second. Going back uh, about a week or so, when Tenet got moved, we remember the officials at Warner Brothers said that, you know, we may approach our release on Tenet a little bit differently than our regular traditional release. Because of course, traditionally, they put it out in the Americas first, then other places around the world, or at least at the same time and stuff like this. And we weren't really clear about what they meant by, we're going to do it a little bit differently this time. Well, apparently, now we do know what they meant by that. Because Deadline has just released that Tenant is set to release in 70 countries, not including the U.S., 70 countries to begin opening by the end of August, followed, now this kind of confirms that story about what Regal put up on their site, followed by a US uh, release over Labor Day weekend. So they have reset a new tenant release date and it seems like they're doubling down on this release date. right now saying 70 countries across the world by the end of August. We're talking in a month. And then they're going to put out in the US over Labor Day weekend. Now, Rob, you and I have learned in the pandemic era that the best laid plans of mice and men doesn't often mean anything. They have set and reset the tenant release date a number of times only to move it again later. Yes, now they're saying that it's going to get this international release, which is fantastic to be followed by the U.S. markets in September grand. But again, the pandemic may have plans of its own. Rob, let me ask you this. Number one, what do you think about this announcement that's come out? But number two, let's say for argument's sake that things continue to get worse in the United States because we seem to be a bumbling bunch of idiots not knowing how to handle this thing when other countries have. But let's say things continue to get worse in the United States. Do you think that Warner Brothers at this point's at this point goes, well, if we can't release it in the U.S. yet, then we can't release it in the U.S. yet. We're still keeping that end of August in whatever other markets around the world we can. So overall thoughts on this, and do they stick with that international release even if they can't make the early September release for the United States?
1: Well, I think, you know, I was talking with a friend of mine about this last night, and he pointed something out that was interesting. When the James Bond movie Spectre came out, the last Bond film five years ago now, 77% 77% of its box office take was foreign, non U S mm. 77%. That's a pretty big percentage. And if they it, like a lot of the countries around the world, uh, friends of mine in Germany went and saw unhinged the Russell Crowe film, uh, theaters are opening. People are going, getting back into to doing business. I mean, we'll see, but I, I, I think that they're going to move forward and open this movie, whether it can go in the U.S. or not. Now, what's going to be interesting is if it sticks on this release date, this is going to be a case study of a number of different things. Um, Where COVID's at worldwide, obviously, we'll see what what happens when people start going to movie theaters. Because of all the movies, this is the movie that's going to get, I think, the most people to come see it. I mean, this is going to, even if the theaters are only half full, I think this movie is going to be, I haven't, I don't remember a movie in the, well, wow, that's not true, Endgame probably, but um, people are excited about this movie and they're going to go. I know you and I might, I mean, if California doesn't open, we might have to take a road trip somewhere, um, <laughs> uh, you know, a day trip cross state lines, I don't know, figure out where the best theaters that we can see it in is, because I, you know, I really want to see this. Labor Day weekend is not that far off and it's, what is it, 30, 40 days off maybe? Um, and I, I hope so. I mean, I, it's up to us. It's ours to lose. Maybe if everybody wears masks for the next month, we can uh, crush this down. But uh, it's going to be an interesting case study to see how this works and um, how the box office, how the box office does in our post-corona world. So you know,
0: I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. We talked about the new mutants the other day. And we talked about how I think there's actually a decent chance because, you know, they just had their Comic-Con panel and they said, we're still releasing on August 28th. Well, that's only a few days removed from when Tenet says they're coming out. And, you know, you and I, I, I speculated the other day that, you know, I think there's actually a decent chance they keep that release date because I think with New Mutants, there's a situation of we just got to get this thing out. And, right. and I kind of feel like they might just release it August 28th in whatever theaters they can whether that's a bunch of them or not, and just say, there, we've done our theatrical release. I don't think you can apply that same philosophy to *Tenant*. It's no. just too much of a bigger film with a much higher budget and a lot more writing on it. But I, I could very well see, I agree with you. I can very well see them going, you know what? This isn't how we would have done it normally. And this is something that would have been unthinkable three months ago. But I think they're in a position now that they'll go, yeah, look, if we've got 70... 60 50 countries that we can release it in we're going to release it and then we'll just release it in the u.s when we can i I think they're just getting that up to that point
1: yeah and i i also think you know i've been thinking a lot about this that with our crazy world that we're now living in i think there's going to be a lot of people that might not necessarily run out to the movies who might go out to the movies just to have a sense of something in their lives that's relatively normal you know, if they're safe and they wear masks and they practice social distancing and they use hand sanitizer or whatever, I think people are now at a point. I mean, by then we're we're going to be six months into a lockdown and and or or all of this, and I think people are going to want to go, man. I know I want to go. Like we just talked about it as we opened the show, that that I, I want to go back to a movie theater,
0: right? I want to see I, on the big screen. I just think there are safe ways to do it. I like again, yeah there is no way to eliminate risk there's just not there's no way to but there is ways to minimize risk and listen i know a lot of people said to me well john i don't know what the point is of opening up the theaters because uh, no one's going to go guess what the moment they opened restaurants lineups the responsible restaurants had little X's that were six feet apart, social distancing, only had so many tables open, yeah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But the moment restaurants were open, people flocked to the restaurants. The moment beaches in some places were open, people flocked to the beaches. The moment think, the moment hair salons were open, people flocked to get their hair cut. I mean, that's, I, I was one of those. Um, I mean, so I, yeah, I believe that once they open up the theaters, it's going to just be important and incumbent that, unlike a lot of restaurants which didn't do it responsibly, unlike a lot of beaches that didn't do it responsibly, if the movie theaters can be really committed to doing it responsibly, I think you're going to see a lot of people coming out. Because I think you're right, Rob. I think it's people are just yearning for that sense of normalcy again. And whether that's New Mutants on August 28th or whether that's going to be tenant in uh, you know late August in a lot of countries or September 4th in the U.S., we'll have to wait and see. Question here for you guys is. What do you think about this? I believe this is the fourth release date for Tenant. I believe this is the fourth release date to Tenant. Do you think they're going to keep this end of August in European countries, and the beginning of September in the U.S.? Do you think they'll do one without the other if they need to? Jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's do one more thing off the top here. And that one more thing off the top here has to do with one of my favorite subjects, Henry Cavill. Of course, one of the series that was just barn burner, blockbuster for Netflix was The Witcher. The Witcher did an awful lot of business for these guys. Uh, it was The Witcher was fantastic. I enjoyed that series far more than I thought I was going to. Like I was expecting something good. It exceeded my expectations. And I think it exceeded the expectations of a lot of people. Cannot wait for season two. Well, guess what? Netflix is now doubling down on the whole Netflix universe idea, Netflix Witcher universe thing, because it has now been announced that they are going to produce a prequel series called The Witcher Blood Origin that's going to look at the founding of The Witchers. I believe it goes back about 1,200 years. Uh, This is basically what they wrote about this. This is coming to us from a report in deadline. Blood Origin will be a six-part live-action limited series, so don't look for a season two, and a prequel to the streamer series The Witcher. Set in an elven world 1,200 years before the world of the Witcher, the show will chart the origins of the very first Witcher and the events that led to the pivotal uh, conjunction of the spheres when the worlds of monsters, men, and elves merged to become one. Rob, in a shared universe-obsessed world uh, that, that we live in here, in a shared universe-obsessed world, is number one, is there any surprise at all that they're looking at doing a Witcher prequel series and do you think this is a good move for them at this part and do you think they'll probably try to position this before the release of season 2 or do you think they'll have this come out after season 2 what do you make of this
1: well it's not a surprise I think it speaks to the fact that the Witcher was a pretty big hit Um, people liked it for the most part I mean it wasn't a grand slam but it was good I ended up you know I finally saw it all and I liked it Um, but I, I I think I don't you know, I, I believe in building a brand before you sort of dilute it. Now, The Witcher has books. It has video games. So it's been around. So I, I understand that there's a lot of mythology they can delve into. But it seems a little early for me. But hey, if people like The Witcher and, and they, the show's good again, if anything can be good. Great story, great characters. And if they have a real handle on it, uh, the uh, the thing that I would be worried about, like, what if it's even better than the witcher? You know, (laughs) you, you're now setting up competition between your own brand before. I mean, you've only done one season of the witcher. I would wait until maybe season two, season three, solidify your fan base and then do a prequel show. But you know what? In this day and age, everybody wants to get those, those dollars and, and, and plant their flag and, i mean i i always hope everything is good i want it to be great
0: but it sounds kind of cool so i'm like all right i'll watch there's it. there's a little bit of precedence for this like one of my favorite shows of all time was spartacus i i i love that show yeah and they kind of did the same thing they had a season one and andy got sick and what they decided to do was they did a prequel season To season one, and then they did season two, and then they kind of brought the characters from the prequel into later on. They actually managed it very well. I mean, look, they announced Witcher season two months and months and months and months ago. So I don't think there's any reason to believe that we're not going to get Witcher season two before we get this Blood Origin. Right. But if they do, now normally, you know me, I'm not a big fan. I'm not a big fan of the idea of doing prequel stories. But when you separate them, by hundreds or in this case, thousands of years, I'm okay with it. Like, I don't want any more Star Wars prequels. But if you're going to go back 500 years, then I'm okay with that because that pretty much takes any of your handcuffs out. You're not limited by what you can do in your storytelling. So, I mean, that could be interesting here too. Look, all I know is that I thought they, personally, I thought they crushed it with The Witcher with season one so i'm looking forward to it i am going to be curious to find out if they do plan on doing this before or after season two i'm going to make the assumption that's going to be after season two but we'll wait and see guys the question for you is what do you think about this announcement of them doing another witcher series as a prequel set a 1200 years before the events of the first and witcher series jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys with that down and out of the way, let's now go into the main body of the show, and the main body of the show is broken into two parts. In the second half of the show, we're going to be taking your li- your guys' live questions. Here's how you get a live question on if you are so inclined. Just go to the tip link in the top of the description of this video or enter it manually streamelements.com slash movieblogtv and write in your question or comment. You'll be doing two things. You'll be getting your question or comment on the show, and number two, be going to be supporting the channel at the same time. But before we get to that stuff, we got a few main topics to talk about here first. And how do we select our main topics here on The John Campion Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campion Show. With that down, Let's move on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Steve Calderon, who writes g4 was one of my favorite networks i always love to watch me too steve i mean they kind of got a little bit weak near the end but i used to love g4 i love attack of the show which olivia munn tiffany smith and allison has haslip started their careers i also enjoyed their live coverage for me three and comic-con do you have any thoughts on g4 making its return uh in some form slated for 2021 all right thanks a lot for sending that in man and yes for those of you who have missed it they have teased and put out that G4 is returning. Now, for those of you who don't know what G4 is, G4 was basically YouTube before YouTube for geeks. I mean, if you wanted to hear about computer and tech and gadget talk, it was on G4. You want to hear about video games? I think Reviews on the Run was that, was that their main video game show? I can't remember. But they had a, like a, a couple of video game shows. All, it was geek culture at its best. And when it was really clocking along, it was great. Uh, anyway, it looks like it is making a return. This comes to us from Engadget that writes Long defunct cable uh, television network G4 is returning sometime in 2021. According to a teaser posted on Friday afternoon via Variety, uh, the one minute video doesn't provide many details of what we can expect from the network moving forward. Comcast subsidiary NBC Universal Cable shuttered the network in 2014. One possibility is that G4 could feature in the company's plans for Shudder, Peacock. It could come to Peacock is one of the things they're talking about. And listen, I'll tell you what, I Rob, I got to tell you, I am all about this. I am all about this. Because again, when this network was in its heyday, it was always fun to watch. Like I know that at any time I could put on G4, and I would enjoy whatever it is that we're, they were doing or whatever it is they were talking about because they were talking my language at that time. It was great. Now, eventually it started to evolve and it became a bastardization of itself. And it kind of was dead before they finally pulled the plug on it. But if if the peacock wants to make a return to this thing uh, and they are committed to the spirit of what the original one was, then I'm all for it. I th- I think this sounds great. And again, it's like any movie that's about to come out. It all depends on the execution. Maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll be terrible. We're going to have to wait to see it till we find out. But for now, Hope Springs Eternal for me. I'm excited about this as long as they get back to the spirit and the roots of what the original idea of G4 was. Back when our friend Chris Gore was on it. If they can mm-hmm. get back to that. This could be really now there's been no announcement whether kevin pierre was going to come back or any of the original people or leo laporte i i don't know it's probably going to be all new and that's fine i'm fine with all new personalities if that's what they go for but i, I just want to see them get back to the spirit of what the first one was rob i know you remember g4 uh what do you think about this and it caught me completely by surprise what do you think about this well you know like you said i think the
1: the problem that g4 had is that they were they were there was a kind of a core idea behind it, but then they kept changing it and searching for things and seeing what worked and what didn't, and then new management and they wanted to get rid of some people and keep others. They really need to have in this in this day and age a very clear idea of what they want a new G4 to be. And they need to execute on that idea. And I think one of the things that they're fighting against is us, is the is the YouTube pundit space. Because so many people have gone on to YouTube and created their own shows inspired, I'm sure, by G4. And there's a lot of great content out there. So I think if G4 is going to distinguish itself, and I would love to see it come back. I like G4. Um, that it really needs to come out with guns blazing and show us something new, vibrant, energetic. Give us hosts and 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 new new personalities that we haven't seen that... Are immediately winning and and really know their stuff because they're 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 wading into a pool that's gotten a lot bigger since uh they left.
0: Yeah, I mean you raise a great point. Like the big battle and hurdle they're gonna have to get over is back when G4 and things like tech TV and stuff like that were out, they were it. But yep. today they're gonna try to come back in the YouTube era, where when it comes to the geek and tech space, we've got MKBHD. We've got Linus tech tips. We've got the everyday dad. We've got tons and tons of video game content. Hell, we've got Twitch. That is just all video game content all the time. So, I hope it's not some of the old original executives thinking we'll just remake what we made because now the landscape is a little bit different. They're going to have to yeah. do things that set them one step above. This is, Hey, look, we're a network. We've got the resources of the, of a network. We're going to make content that shows we can have all the best talent with extra best production and all the res- all the things that the resources of a network can bring. If they can do that, I think they can be successful. But again, Unlike before, they've got a lot of stiff competition on YouTube from a lot of very popular personalities covering the tech world and the geek world and the video game world and the geek movie world and things like that. And it's going to be interesting to see how they pull this off. question is, guys, for you. Which ones do you even remember G4? <laughs> I'm thinking, <laughs> thinking this is going to be, I'm letting test to see which of you guys are under 20. What do you guys think about this announcement? Do you think it could bring back its sort of heyday? Or do you think, now nah, it's just going to be a reflection of a bastardization that it once was? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Amit. And Amit writes, recently in Australia, our biggest movie theater chain, Event Cinemas, have introduced initiatives such as booking out an entire hall for 20 or so friends to play any movie on request, subject to availability, of course, for around 500 bucks. There's even an option to play any video game on the big screen, provided guests supply their own consoles. My question is, in today's environment, do movie theaters need to reinvent themselves in such creative ways to stay in business? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, this was actually really cool. I They sent me a link for this as well, and I went over to check it out. And what they had up there was actually really rather cool. It's this idea of, and this is an Australian movie theater chain. You come, you can book it for up to 20 people, 500 bucks, and you can watch any movie you want on there. And this is why this is appealing to me because some people might say, well, 500 bucks, that doesn't sound all that great. I mean, you're still, if you have 20 people, 500 bucks, you're still paying 20 bucks a person. Yeah, but look at this deal that they're offering for this. The, The deal that they're offering for this actually looks pretty good. The idea is, Uh, This is what it says on their site. For a limited time only, you can book your own cinema for just 500 bucks with our special private booking package. Book before the uh, 31st of July to to access the special offer. The private booking package includes a private cinema for up to 20 people, a movie of your choice They have a big library of films that you can choose from. You may not be able to get everything, but they've got a big library there, including a range of new releases, cult classics, and family favorites. Here's the key. Unlimited medium popcorn and drinks. I mean, that's probably why it's getting up there. I'll tell you what. I love this idea. I I think this idea is gangbusters good. And one of the reasons why I like the idea so much is because, number one, it shows a little bit of creativity on the part of the movie theaters. Now, listen, movie theaters going all the way back to like the 1930s had to be creative with their use because it's a big space. They're paying a lot for it. And what used to happen in the olden days a lot, back in my grandfather's day, was that sometimes movie theaters would even like have live stage productions like if they had a, a stretch where they didn't think any big movies were coming out that was gonna they would basically shut down the movie part of it and they would have a stage and they would actually have live plays come in and do live plays I mean movie theaters got to do what they need to do to generate revenue we see this happening already in North American cinemas because just last year they started showing NFL games. on on a lot of big screens like AMC. If I want to, they had a certain number of games that they play on a Sunday because I like watching football in a group. You could go down to AMC, you buy a ticket, you get some snacks, you get some food, you get a seat and you get to watch the football game with a bunch of people. So movie theaters have been trying to adapt and find creative ways to generate revenue like this. And it's a great idea. This particular idea I think is great. Now there have been organizations around for the past number of years that will help you book a theater privately as long as you can sell a certain number of tickets and they have a library of films that you can choose from. This kind of thing takes it, it appears to me to take it just one step further where you're getting, you know, up to 20 people, unlimited popcorn, unlimited drinks. That's major because that's where movie theaters make most of their money. And for you to do that, listen, anything that a movie theater can do to generate more revenue, I'm all for. And Rob, what I have found is not just with the movie theater industry, but with the movie theater industry in particular, is we're okay with you charging us for things if it's things we find are valuable. You know, right. we, we as consumers, we don't mind paying for stuff if we feel we're getting value for what we're paying. And if movie theaters can come up with creative ways to generate more revenue that we as consumers would consider value enough that we're willing to pay for whether it's showing nfl games whether it's letting you guys letting getting a book a a party uh to come into the theater to play video games for a few hours whether it's like this booking your own private screening if they can come up with creative ways like that i'm all for it especially when you got these movie theaters today rob like the amc burbank 16 that has 16 screens in it i i'm all for it rob what do you think about this little initiative by the Australian thing? And, and can you think of some other maybe creative ways that theaters can might be able to utilize their facilities to generate revenue?
1: Well, like you, I mean, booking a movie party with your friends and it like like, can you imagine if the AMC 16 by your house, you know, you book the Dolby Cinema and you could call up, you know, you and your friends like 20, 25 people, everybody kicks in. And, I, and knowing, you know, knowing people have been quarantining, it's going to be safe or whatever. That would be so much fun. I mean, I would I would if if movie theaters like set aside mornings like from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. or something to do that, I would I would make that a regular practice. You know, especially if you could book a theater on the weekends, like on a Saturday morning. How cool would that be? Like you and your friends, you get to see everybody and you all go out to lunch and talk about the film afterwards. I mean, that's a cool thing to be able to do. I don't know if they'll be able to adopt it here, but I think stuff like that, I mean, anything that, uh, where you have communal viewing experiences. Now, football games are, are good, but like, what if somebody said, okay, today we're binge watching the Umbrella Academy, I would I would go watch nine hours of the Umbrella Academy or 10 hours at a, at a, at a movie theater, to watch the whole thing on a big screen with a big sound system. You know, Netflix presents binging days or whatever. I, I don't know. I think that's a good idea. I mean, maybe it would only work as a novelty at first, but I could see that if you had especially if you could order like didn't they say you could order up like any movie you wanted
0: with, you know, if it's available, if they have it, if they have it in their library that they have access to. So yeah, I, I mean, like, that's true.
1: Like, what if you had like a bunch of people that says, L- let's rock the Godfather trilogy or let's rock Lord of the Rings. And, you know, you could have a special day where you pay 500 bucks to sit there and you and all your friends get to watch the extended editions of Lord of the Rings. I could see that being a thing.
0: Yeah, especially, I mean, especially when you consider the fact that, look, again, we're using the AMC Burbank 16, but there's lots of cineplexes around the country that have 8, yeah. 10, 16, 20, 24 theaters in it. And listen, yeah, when we think of the movie theater going experience, we think of opening Friday night and the theaters are packed. And you think, well, how can having 15 or 20 people paying 500 bucks come and be cost effective? Because for the vast majority of screening times, Monday through Thursday, 1 p.m., 3 p.m., 4 p.m., 5 p.m., 7 p.m., 9 p.m., Monday through Thursday, but... There are a lot of those screenings that have like 5, 8, 12 people in them. So yeah. there's a lot of opportunity there for theaters to say, hey, yeah, we could play, you know, Bloodshot for six people on, you know, Wednesday at 5 p.m. Or, and make, you know, 130 bucks, or we can book out a private party for 500 bucks. and and make make more money and get more people into coming into the theater. So I think it's a win for the consumers. If there's special things they want to do, I think it's a win for the movie theaters. I I just think they need to utilize trying to get more creative with their facilities.
1: Yeah, I do, too. I think
0: it's cool. Question is for you guys, what do you think about this? Maybe you think, nah, man, listen, movie theaters are the temple of movies. Keep it sacred. Don't deflower it with other stuff. Or maybe you're like me and you think, yeah, there's a lot of other things you can do. If so, what other types of creative ideas can you think of that movie theaters can do that we as consumers would think, yes, that's valuable enough that I would actually pay for that? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Martin Woods. And Martin Woods writes, Hey, John and Rob, I have to admit, I'm kind of getting tired of the hate campaign for the Snyder Cut. Even Snyder was just bashing on the theatrical cut of the movie, which is way better than any movie he's ever done I, I take issue with that. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh saying he'd rather blow up the Snyder Cut. Um, he'd rather blow up the Snyder Cut than use any of Joss's footage. I, I take issue with that as well. We'll talk about that in a second. He's just coming across as salty because Justice League had a higher critics and audience scores than any of his films. All right. Thanks for writing that in, Martin. And uh and let's let's dive into it. And listen, Martin, with all due respect, and I, I appreciate hey, listen. Film fans, would come from a different points of view. I respect what you're saying. But I do want to point a couple things out. Um, number one, let's start with some of the factual stuff. Saying that, you know, Justice League had better audience and critic scores than any of his films. Well, number one, don't forget, Justice League is still technically his film. Like, if you look at Justice League, that was the theatrical cut. He's still the listed director of credit. That's a nitpick. But also, while it is true, while it is true. That Justice League, uh, the theatrical cut, did have – yes, it did. It did have a higher critic rating and a higher audience rating than Batman versus Superman did. You know what I think about web voting-based critic uh, audience rating stuff. I, I don't think that's very reliable. But yes, it did have a higher critic rating and a higher higher audience score than Batman uh, versus Superman did. It It did not – Have either a higher critic score nor a higher audience score than Zack's other movie, Man of Steel. It still is an issue of massive bewilderment to me that that critic score for Man of Steel, one of the greatest. I would dare I say it is the second greatest DC movie ever made only behind. The Dark Knight. Yes, I said it. I believe Man of Steel is better than Batman Begins. I better. I believe it's better than The Dark Knight Rises. I believe it's better than any other DC movie ever, with the exception of The Dark Knight. So I take a little bit of issue saying that the Justice League and and, and I like Justice League the theatrical release. I did, but I take some issue saying it's better than any of the other films he's ever done. So I'll take a little bit of issue with that. But I'm a Man of Steel homer. Okay. So what this is all coming from? Is that uh, Zach Snyder was being interviewed for something called Justice Con, right? And the question got asked, and it is actually a ridiculous question. And I'll get into that in a second. It is an absolutely stupid, ridiculous question that even the person asking the question said it's a dumb question. But for the fans, we've got to ask. And I understand that sometimes you got to ask the dumb question because it's a question that's begging, begging to be uh, begging to be asked. And they asked the question: Are you going to use in your Snyder cut? Are you going to use any of the other footage from the theatrical cut? Again, it's a ridiculous question. We'll get into why. This is what Zack Snyder said and what everybody is getting, uh, including our question, the person who asked the question is getting all riled up about. Zack said the following. He said, there would be no chance on earth that I would use a shot that was made after I left the movie. I would destroy the movie. I would set it on fire before I, I would use a single frame that I did not photograph. That is fucking hard fact. All right. Let's read this again. Snyder said, there would be no chance on earth that I would use a shot that was made after I left the movie. I would destroy that movie. I would set it on fire before I would use a single frame that I did not photograph. That is fucking hard fact. All right. Let's take a look at what he said. What he just said makes absolute total sense. What is... The Snyder Cut. What is it? The Snyder Cut. There are still people out there who have this belief that the Snyder Cut is some new production. That they're going to go back into production. They're going to be doing They're not doing any more shooting. It's not a new production. It's not a new anything. What the Snyder Cut has always been intended to be was the original vision that Zack Snyder had for the movie, which is the footage he shot. Before it was before, you know, he had to leave for a myriad of different reasons. But the whole idea of the Snyder Cut from the beginning was that original film that he shot. Therefore, the notion that anybody would have ever thought for a second that he would then add in footage that was shot after he left, that he would add in footage That is the opposite of the whole intention of putting out the movie that he originally shot and originally intended to show. The question itself is ludicrous. It's an absolutely ludicrous, ridiculous question. Again, I don't blame the interviewer for asking the question because they were right. It's going to be something people wonder. But it's absolutely idiotic that anybody, any of us would be wondering that. The whole idea of the Snyder Cut is for him to take the original thing that he shot and had his edit of for years to then take that, get the studio to give him a bunch of money so he can actually finish it and then present it to the world. When you understand what the Snyder cut, what else? Listen, so listen, I understand getting a little upset by it, but listen, again, listen to what Zack Snyder said. Nothing that he says here is unreasonable and nothing that he says here should be surprising at all. There is no chance in art that I would use a shot that was made after I left the movie. I would set it on fire before I use a single frame that I did not photograph because the idea of this thing is the movie that I shot. Right. So, I mean, of course. So, listen, I I, I respect the fact that maybe you took his words one way, but I honestly think if you take a step back and just and understand the context and take, take a look specifically as, at what he's saying. And by the way, he wasn't trashing on Joss Whedon. He's never said he never brought up Joss once. He actually reemphasized in the interview that he never actually saw that version of the movie because it was the movie that was taken away from him. I respect that. But he doesn't trash anybody here. He's not, I don't believe he's saying anything unreasonable. He's saying what all of us should have had enough common sense to know in the first place. Of course he's before he said that he that person should have been able to ask any of us, do you think he's gonna use some of the other footage made for the What are you talking about? This is supposed to be the Snyder This is the version that he that's why he's not doing any more shooting. Of course not. It's a ridiculous question. So really, I think, again, Rob, I get somebody maybe getting upset at first when they first take a look at this. But I think if you just take a breath and look at it again, what he's saying is exactly what we all should have known and should have never even be asked. He's going to make this thing the thing that he always intended to be, which means why the hell would he use any additional footage? So personally, I see nothing wrong with what he said. I see nothing incendiary about it. He was being very passionate. Look, he's been trying for years to get the studio to agree to let him finish this thing. And now that they have, is he suddenly going to go out and pull in other footage that other people shot? Of course he's not. Yeah. And he answered that passionately. I personally see nothing wrong with what he said there. Rob, you saw these words. What was your reaction to it?
1: Well, first of all, I wanted to give a quick shout out to the people at Justice Con for putting this event on because I participated in a, a panel discussion on it. This was put on by three uh, female fans that put it all together to to talk about and honor the Snyder Cut. And they got. Zack Snyder to participate. And while DC fandom is happening next month where we're going to see an actual trailer for the Snyder cut, Zack Snyder dropped a, a piece of footage with Superman in the black suit. He came on this thing and it shows what what the power of fandom to do to do something good. I thought this was a really cool event and the fact that Snyder fully sanctioned it was awesome. So kudos to them. And and secondly, I agree with everything you said. It's not like Zack Snyder was standing at a podium with banging his shoe like Mussolini giving a speech. You know, there's always there's an element of tongue in cheek to what he was saying. And of course, what would be the point of having a Snyder cut if there was anything that. He didn't shoot in it. I mean, it, 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 of course. And I think since the question was couched as being a stupid question anyway, but I think, like you said, I think it, it kind of had to be asked because people want to Absolutely.
0: It's, it's stupid and it's pathetic, but it, it But she was right. Like The, the girl was asking the question. She goes, look, I, I have to ask this. And she's 100% right because that 100%. is a question that a lot of people, a lot of stupid people like me would have been thinking about. And so she had to put that question out there. And I, I respect that. Also so, – yeah. From a, it's a logistical
1: question from a filmmaking perspective is, would there be some footage that you might have needed to reshoot, but they did it for you or whatever? I, I, I if I was a producer, like, let's say I was producing the Snyder Cut or you and I were the first question we would be asking Zack Snyder is, OK, we have all this footage. Do we need more footage? Are we going to are you going to expect us to figure out a way to go shoot more stuff? And if so. Are you going to utilize anything that was made for by Joss Whedon? That's a logistical question that would be one of the first things asked if you were going to actually go do this. So I think clarifying it for the fans, because you know how misinformation gets all over the internet, now you've actually got a definitive quote from the filmmaker himself saying no. And the fact that people are spinning it into something like a bad form or, or whatever, I think he was just giving you a fun answer. You know, it's not like he was, like I said, he's not, I will never, you know, it was, he was being fun. You know, this was a, it it was a fun answer. It's not like he's on trial in front of Congress or something or, or being deposed. It was, I thought it was an amusing answer and I thought it was fun and it, it, it kind of says where his head is at and, and, and no one will ever question it anymore. So there's your answer. I thought it was
0: great. Yeah. uh, uh, Again, the whole point of what is the Snyder cut? The Snyder cut is the version of the movie that he shot prior to leaving or being removed, whatever, and the studio studio mandating they change the movie. He's been wanting his cut to come out. So why on earth would he ever want to use a piece of footage that he didn't shoot? It just makes sense. So again, again, I understand because he answered it so passionately, I, I get some people on um, first impression looking at that and maybe taking it a little bit the wrong way, like he was being like aggressive or negative. I, I think there was, again, I think when you take context into consideration, you understand what this movie is supposed to be. And then you read his comment saying, no, I'm not going to use anything that I didn't photograph. I'm not going to shoot anything that was shot after I left. This is supposed to be his vision. I see nothing wrong with what he said whatsoever. Anyway, guys, question is for you. You had a chance to see that little quote from Zack Snyder. What did you make of it? Did you think he was maybe being a little, you know, out of bounds? I personally didn't think at all, but maybe you did jump down into the comment section below and let me know what you think. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to our fourth and final main topic today. And our fourth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Abdi M who writes, Hello, John. With August almost upon us, what are the chances that the Academy Awards actually happen this year? I know they already delayed it and made some adjustments for the qualifying, but wouldn't there come a point where they just have to surrender the year or do you think they hold the ceremony with however many eligible movies they have? Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Abdi. And full disclosure on this, this question was actually sent in over a week ago. So this was a question that was actually sent a week ago. Well, then why bring it up and talk about it now? The reason I bring up this question now, and I went back to, to dig it up from Abdi, is because I was having a text conversation with somebody yesterday who is a voting member of the academy. And they said something rather interesting to me. Now, before I we talk about what it is they said, let's go back a couple of steps to examine where we are right now. Now of course the Academy Awards are supposed to come out in February. The eligibility deadline, but like by the time, the time deadline that your movie needs to meet in order to be eligible for the Academy Awards is February is you got to meet the eligibility requirements by December thirty first of this year, right? Well, what happened? The coronavirus came out. A whole ton of movies have been delayed for months and months and months and months. And not too long ago, back in June, early June, so a little over a month ago, the Academy came out and said, okay, we're going to move our thing to April 25th from February, and we're going to extend our deadline from December 31st to late February, which is a, a vast departure from what they normally do. So that's where we're at right now. So the Oscars already a month ago made some adjustments. They also changed some of the eligibility, eligibility rules to reflect the unusual times that we're in they stretched the deadline from december 31st to late february and they moved the award ceremony into april on april 25th that's where we have been at now that situation has changed even more and just let me bring up the actual text conversation i was having here because i wanted to read this so this friend of mine and i were discussing this a little bit and then he finally said uh by the way i don't think it's happening To which I replied in all caps, wait, explanation point. Is that for sure? Are they going to announce this? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Because that's me digging for info. To which they wrote to me the following. They said this. Let me put it this way. Now, remember, this is coming from a voting member of the Academy. Let me put it this way. A month ago, canceling the thing, canceling the Oscars was not on the table. So a month ago, when they came out with all those changes we just talked about, he said back then that wasn't on the table. So a month ago, canceling the thing wasn't on the table. Today it is, and it's being seriously talked about. I mean, they'll hold on as long as they can, but unless something drastically changes soon, I'd expect a formal PR. I assume PR means press release. I'd expect a formal PR relatively soon. Let me read that again. Let me put it this way. A month ago, canceling the thing, canceling the 2021 Oscars, canceling the thing wasn't on the table. Today it is. And it's being seriously talked about. I mean, they'll hold on as long as they can. But unless something drastically changes soon, I'd expect a formal PR, which I, again, interpret to mean press release, relatively soon. Rob, We've been talking about the issue of the Academy Awards and and what they could do or might not do. You know, it was a common sense move that they made a little over a month ago to shift the thing uh, by a couple of months, move the eligibility date by a couple of months. That was great. But this was at the beginning of July or the beginning of June when they made these announcements back when there was still some hope and actually some realistic hope that Tenant was going to come out on July 17th, that Mulan was going to come out shortly after. We are living in a new set of circumstances now where, you know, the, the COVID stuff is spiking over the country, although we do now have them saying they're going to put it out on September 4th. But a lot of stuff has already been bumped, not just off their original release dates, Rob, but a lot of stuff even in the month since that change. A lot more things have been bumped to 2021. Well beyond the eligibility dates that they've already set. This is a game, Rob, where the rules have been changing day by day, depending on the new information that comes to light and all kind of stuff. Uh, But Rob, again, I am hearing that they are now the Academy is now seriously considering saying, look, what are we even if we hold on to this thing, what movies are we going to have? Like, are are we going to nominate, you know, for best actor Vin Diesel in Bloodshot? I'm a big Vin Diesel fan. Don't come. You know I'm a big Vin Diesel fan, but you know, Bloodshot wasn't his best work. Are we going to talk about nominated for Best Picture? Sonic. (laughs) And and I I don't know what I mean. Seriously, that's what they're kind of looking at. And I know it creates a logistical nightmare to cancel them and just to say everything that would have been eligible for this year is all going to be lumped into the following year. I know that creates a logistical nightmare, but a logistical nightmare might be the only option left on the table rob let me ask you this what do you think the chances are that the oscars do ultimately here just pull the plug and how much longer do you at what point do you think is the cutoff do you think hey look if if we don't get theaters fully open again by september they gotta just cancel the oscars is it october is it november i mean do you think they'll pull the plug on this? And if so, when do you think is their drop dead date? When do you think is that date that, okay, at this point is the point of no return. We just can't do it. What do you think about this?
1: Well, I mean, as I'm I'm looking here at how many categories there are in the Oscars, you know, the actors, let's, let's see, one, two, three, four. There's like 20 categories, 25 categories. There's a lot of categories. Each one of those has, say, five nominees of however many movies come out. So you're looking at, you're looking at over a hundred, uh, over a hundred different people get nominated for Oscars, and they they have to they're being drawn from say, I don't know, a thousand movies. We just don't have enough films that are going to be released this year to make the Oscars a legitimate competition. The whole idea of it is to honor the best of the best. We don't even have enough movies to fill out. Any of those lists. And I think if they gave out the Oscars this year, the real question is, would they even be, could we even, is there enough films that we can even judge to, to, and fairly judge that, that live up to the standards of what the whole Oscars was supposed to be. And I think they're, they're weighing their options like, well, we just don't have enough material to give out the Oscars this year. It's no one's fault. You know, it was a situation that arose. It's not what we certainly didn't want this to happen. But to keep the Oscar ceremony legitimate and to keep it what it's always been, they just don't have, let's call it natural resources. You know, their natural resources that they live and die by are movies. And are there enough? So I think I think ultimately. uh, They're probably going to cancel the Oscars. And I think. Wow, on the outset, I think by the end of September, they'll finally call it. Because I think some people might be holding out hope, like, well, wait. Like we said at the top of the hour, if Tenet's coming out, maybe there's hope that we'll have enough movies coming out between September and the end of the year that we can have a horse race, we can have an Oscar ceremony. So maybe, but we'll have to see where we're at. Because like you said, John, this is an ever-changing situation. But I, I just... I don't even think like as a long time, you and I both love the Oscars. We love the Oscars. We've been watching the Oscars since we were kids. Would I want to watch an Oscar ceremony for this year? Could I get excited about it? If, you know, if there's not like even the nominations, I know that there might be 15 worthy movies to win to get a best picture nomination. and, And now would there even be five? So it would seem like i don't know if i had a film coming out this year and i was finally nominated for an oscar and you won one this year there would always be an asterisk by your name
0: giant you know yeah. giant one you know what it reminds me of rob and you know i like my sports analogies but it reminds me of this if they tried because look let's say they even get the theaters open by september right when did the theaters shut down march was it march yeah. that the theater shut down yeah. Yeah. march april may june july august half the year was gone To me, having an Oscars this coming year, and again, I love the Oscars. I want it to happen, blah, blah, blah. But we're getting, and just a month ago, Rob, I was like, yep, do this, do this. Just a month ago, I was saying, yeah, do this. But we're in a different situation now. And I feel like if you you were to do an Oscars now, with movies not really opening up till September, it would be like watching an NFL preseason game. I love football but i do not watch preseason games because number one they're meaningless and none of the real players are on the field i'm right. not disc- i'm not discrediting the players who are backup players of course they're elite level athletes i'm not i'm just but from a fan's point of view you know when i'm watching you know when tampa bay comes out to play you know, the first scrimmage, it ain't gonna be Tom Brady playing quarterback. It's gonna be some it's gonna be the B list that's on there. I don't care to watch. And of course, hundreds and hundreds of movies have still come out. So there's enough, there's the quantity is there if you want to make nominations, but the quality isn't there. And you're gonna be getting a movie winning best picture at this year's Academy Awards that probably wouldn't have even gotten nominated at all had it been a regular year. And I just think that's getting too damaging. And I, I again, I understand that moving it all to 2022... 2022- becomes a logistical nightmare and it creates more problems and it means it's going to be an extremely competitive year. I get that, but I would rather have a year at the Oscars that is overly competitive where maybe a couple of actors and a couple of pictures and a couple of cinematographers that would have won an Academy Award at some point won't because there was extra competition. I'd rather have that than people not deserving getting Oscars and us pretending to celebrate excellence in film when it's not the best of the best. So... Right i i kind of feel like and you're saying in september i'm not going to go too different from you i'm going to say i think by the end of august yeah i think by the end of august we're going to get that unless they just say nope hell or high water we're going to do it but we'll find out question you know, is for you guys oh no go ahead rob what well, were you going to i was say? gonna
1: say you know what could be interesting though and i don't know what form this would take but in to replace the oscars maybe i mean assuming that people who have large gatherings, maybe the Motion Picture Academy in conjunction with the opening of their new museum, which they've been working on for years and years, it's going to open that they could do some other kind of a show, a big show, like a three hour show, you know, on ABC that somehow celebrates the art of cinema in some way, shape or form. So there's no award show, but you could get that kind of star studded turnout and and see people speak and uh, again i don't know what form that would take but something that that really reminds the world of of the greatness of cinema and make it inclusive in terms of all all cinema from all around the world and and really celebrate where we're at with the art of cinema i don't know what that would be but maybe they could do something like that i don't know
0: yeah we'll have to see question is guys what do you think about this do you think maybe like hey listen This is the Oscars. It's not a thing. There were still movies that came out this year, even though it was a weird year. Let's just celebrate it for what it was and have the Oscars. I think there's an argument to be made for that. Or do you think more like me on this point? It's like, you know what? We're missing half the year already. And we could be missing more than half of the year by the time this thing rolls around. And I think it's probably just best to cut bait now and move on, even though I didn't feel that way just a month ago. How do you guys feel about it? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys with all that down out of the way let's now move on and start taking your live questions and comments again the best way and the only way to get your comment or question here on the live part of the show is simply use the tip link in the top of the description of this video or enter it manually streammelons.com movieblogtv slash tip you'll be getting your question here on as long as it's not unreasonable and of course you'll be supporting the channel at the same time with that down Let's get into your live questions. And the first one we're going to start off with here comes to us from Willow who writes, Are you familiar with the Blacklist website where aspiring writers pay to get their screenplays evaluated and scripts with high ratings may get read by industry members? If so, would you recommend uh, it to those trying to get into screenwriting? Rob, I know you're familiar with the, the Blacklist stuff. What do you think? Is this something that uh, screenwriters should try, you know, getting their thing on?
1: Oh, Absolutely. I mean, but remember the blacklist. For those of you who don't know, the blacklist was put together by a gentleman, and, and it's people, agents, or, or assistants, or people that have read scripts, that are reading scripts, that have access to scripts that haven't been made yet. And they vote on them. And people throughout the industry vote on them, and the best ones rise to the top. And what's interesting about the blacklist is this was something that happened in Hollywood anyway, because everyone's always looking for great material. So, you know, people, agents, managers, talent, they're looking for scripts and they hear about them. So, if your script makes the blacklist, it is significant. Because that means your material has gone noticed and rises to the top. And a lot of those scripts, because they're so good, wind up getting made. So it's important. But in order to get on that list, it's not like you could just, I'd like to get my script on the blacklist. That's, that would be like you and I going, I'd like to win an Academy Award. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's,
0: it's you better write a good screenplay. All right, uh, let's see here. Next up, we've got uh, Magic K who writes, uh, during Justice Con, a fan asked whether or not he would use, oh, so this is the same way you just brought up, uh, would, would use any of Joss Whedon's Justice League footage. Zach's simply re- simple reply was, I would destroy the movie. I would set it on fire before. I would use a single frame that I did not photograph. What's your opinion? Again, just re- just repeating what I said before, it's it's the only thing he could have or should have said. There is nothing wrong with what he said. It's like, it's like Zack Snyder said, Hey, guys, and have said for two years, I'm going to build a boat. I'm going to build a boat. I'm going to build a boat. And then somebody asked him, hey, Zach, are you going to build a car? No, I'm building a fucking boat. I mean, that's exactly what just happened. He said, I'm doing the Snyder Cut, which is all the stuff that he shot. He is not going to incorporate stuff he didn't shoot. I, I honestly have no idea why anybody have a problem with what he said. I think it makes perfect sense. There's nothing you know, controversial here. He said, Hey, Zach, uh, in making the Snyder cut, are you going to make it not the Snyder cut? No, I'm going to make it the Snyder cut. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's, uh, it is, it is the ultimate no dub thing. So, anyway, that's, that's my thoughts on that Magic K. Thanks for asking. Obviously, we're thinking the same thing because we already made that a topic here. All right, next up, Um, Elminster writes, Ashley Johnson was mentioned, yeah, of course she was on Blacklist, uh, was mentioned on your open mic on Saturday and that she voiced Ellie in The Last of Us. Well, she's also an avid D&D player. I have seen her play D&D online, as a matter of fact, yes. Uh, and currently plays Yasha on Critical Role, a famous D&D campaign run by Matthew Mercer every Thursday night. Yeah, so we Ashley came up and I really, of course, now she was that, that waitress in the first Avengers movie that everybody noticed. But I know her best from Blindspot. I thought she was good in that. And of course, she is also the voice of Ellie. We talked about that before. And yes, I have recognized her playing d online, which I always thought was a really cool thing. Thanks for bringing that up, man. All right. Uh, Thomas uh, Patterson writes, movies are awesome. My ex-girlfriend of three years got a new boyfriend. Uh, not two weeks after we last told each other we loved each other and a week after we broke up. The only thing that could make me laugh was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Well, you know what? damn right that's i mean look all joking aside we've talked about this before one of the great things about the movies is that there's a million things that are great about but one of the great things is that when something crappy is going on with life movies always give you that opportunity to put that crap on pause just pause that go watch a movie lose yourself in it laugh jump scream whatever it is and it doesn't Fix your problems, and it doesn't mean your problems aren't there when you come back out of the movie, but you do come back out with a renewed mind, a little bit refreshed, maybe with a little bit of a different perspective. It's always funny when you're in a crappy situation, and then you're able to laugh or dream or imagine, and then you come back to your problem, you go, okay, you know what? This problem isn't as unmanageable as I remember it being just two hours ago. Um, And you know what, man? I'm not trying to defend your ex or anything like that, but sometimes when people are hurting, they make bad decisions. Maybe that's a bad decision of hers. I'm not saying it is because I don't know her, but that is one of the great things. All right. Mischievous Gremlin writes Hey, John, I was wondering what your thoughts are on the Umbrella Academy. The second season of the show will be starting this Friday, and I hear it's better than season one. Have you seen Umbrella Academy? And what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, Mischievous, I've, I've, Rob and I have both talked about this show a lot. Uh, I love the Umbrella Academy. I love it. Now, full disclosure, Rob, I, I should mention this, that in saying that I love the Umbrella Academy, uh, one of the producers of the Umbrella Academy plays in my Star Wars role playing game group. <laughs> so, I, so full disclosure, But I, and I mean this all honestly, I loved this show before I even knew he was one of the producers on that show. I didn't know he was producing that show when I started following and I started talking about it. I love the Umbrella Academy. I think the 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 marketing they've done for season two looks insane. I am right now, I am all about Doom Patrol season two, which is going great. Uh The Boys Season Two, Anne and Corey, I just finished our re-watch through of the boys season one. So good. And Umbrella Academy season two. My whole life viewing life right now is about those three shows. Anyway, Rob, just quick thoughts on your anticipation for uh Umbrella Academy season two. Uh, it's
1: through the roof. I loved season one. Like you said, we're getting a, an embarrassment of riches, comic adaptations on on whether it's the boys, whether it's the Umbrella Academy or whether it's Doom Patrol. We're in a, I mean, I, you know, again, I, I we live in a world where there's just amazing stuff happening all the time. And uh, I my anticipation for Umbrella Academy season two is through the roof.
0: Yeah, so stoked for it, man. So very, very excited for it. It's going to be great, and I cannot wait. All right, GQ writes, I just watched Moonlight just to enjoy Mahershala Ali, who won an Academy Award for that film, by the way. Uh, But he was only in it for like a half an hour, and he won an Oscar for that. Just how good is he? Well, listen, there have been people, Dame Judy Dench, for example, won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for Shakespeare in Love. And I believe she has like six minutes of screen time. Some Like yeah. something along those lines, Rob, I can't remember, but like six or seven minutes of screen time. Like there have been other examples of, I remember for, uh, was it William Hurt who got nominated for a history of violence? Was it a history of violence? And he was, I, I think he got nominated for, I might be thinking of the wrong movie, but if I'm thinking of the red run, he got nominated for best supporting actor and he was in it for like three or four minutes. I mean like something ridiculously small. So yeah, for somebody being in a movie, now I don't know what the actual amount of runtime that Mahershala Ali was in moonlight, but if he is in like 20 to 30 minutes, that is a substantial supporting role. So I, yeah. Anyway, Rob, your, your thoughts on that.
1: Well, you know, Again, it's it's also like Beatrice Strait won an Academy Award for five minutes in the movie Network. Right. And I I think it's I think it's it's how much of an impression a character comes in and leaves with you, and you know Judy Dench, the fact that they only in five minutes they leave you with oh my god, what an amazing turn in in that movie. I mean, when she shows up as the queen and shakespeare love i mean it's like you you you, it's delicious and uh, and i think that's what really matters i mean it doesn't matter ultimately how much screen time somebody has it's it's does their performance move you and when you're talking about best actor like mahershal ali in moonlight i mean you can't take your eyes off that performance it's truly electrifying and uh, it's like Grease Lightning, John. Uh, I uh, love that uh, performance. And I love when an actor can do that. And it's magical. That's the magic of the movies. And whether it's five minutes or 15 minutes or a half an hour, does it matter? If the performance is that good and you're getting something that's that amazing, I think that, that it doesn't really matter.
0: Yeah. I mean, it comes into play, I think, when you're talking about lead Right, Cause then you got to justify that that person is the lead of the film. But when you're talking about supporting, that's a wa- that's a much wider definition. And I think there's a lot of more room to play with. So I, I like the way you answered that. All right, uh, next up, Marie Seifring writes. Hey, John and Rob, have you seen the news about the new George Clooney directed film, The Midnight Sky? It's slated to drop on Netflix. Filming completed in February 2020, but I haven't seen anything saying if it's completed post-production. Thanks. I'll tell you what, Marie, I actually try to keep my ear to the ground on stuff going on with George Clooney, but I am not familiar uh, with anything on this. Now, then again, Rob, if it is a Netflix film. Uh, we shouldn't be surprised that we don't know anything about it because Netflix is the worst outlet in the world for marketing their own stuff. But I've, I've not heard of this, to be honest, unless I have and I'm just forgetting it. But I can't recall it. Do you know anything about this project, Rob? No. I mean, I, I've read
1: something about it, but I don't know much. I, as a matter of fact, I read something about it probably over this weekend. Same same probably time our viewer heard about it. But I don't, again, totally not on my radar.
0: All right, uh, let's move on here. Next up, we've got uh, that was Marie. We got Isaac Beebe who writes one of two. Have you heard of? Harmy's despecialized edition of the Star Wars original trilogy. Uh, they are HD version of the theatrical versions of the films. Harmy was just shown has just shown off footage on his YouTube channel, version 3.0 of A New Hope based off the 4K. Um, Star Wars Despecialized Edition just showed off footage of the beta for version 3.0 of A New Hope, which is based off the official 4K UHD release. And OMFG, it looks absolutely drop dead gorgeous. He said he will try to have it out by Christmas. Well, I mean, we've talked a lot lot over the years about the despecialized edition Mm. I quite enjoy I mean look it's not the official thing Uh, and normally I don't like the fan edit stuff but listen the despecialized edition is something I always enjoyed uh, because it does take you more back to the true original version of the film I'm also a big fan of the uh, D cheesed version of the prequels the I can't remember if it's called the De Cheesed or the Anti Cheese or whatever it's called. But there's this there are these versions, this edit of the prequels called the De Cheesed edition that makes those movies infinitely better. I mean infinitely better. It's funny what a what an edit can do. But anyway, Rob, have you ever watched either this the De Cheesed or the um, the de specialized version of the Star Wars films? What do you think about these things?
1: John, I'm not confirming or denying <laughs> that uh, I, I own the de-specialized versions on Blu-ray. I also have the actual <laughs> MKV files. I mean, Ooh. I might have the MKV files of, of them. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to confirm or deny that. And I'm not going to confirm or deny that I have the negative one edition of the 77 version of Star Wars It looks like it was taken off a of film print. No, to be honest, I've been collecting various versions of, of the Star Wars movies. Um, you know, I, 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 this, this is actually the very first um, laser disc from Japan.
0: Oh my god! Who, and
1: uh, of the the the, this is the very first laser disc from Japan that was letterboxed that they've used for the basis of the color timing in a lot of these despecialized versions because this um, is probably the most correct version of the film but again that this I got that I got this laser disc in 87 I think and so yeah I'm I'm, you know yes the answer is I like the despecialized version
0: have you ever seen the anti cheese cuts of the pre? I have not
1: I have not the seen those and I need to find those I've seen the phantom edits the phantom editors versions but not the anti cheese I gotta now I now I need to know John I gotta go find those
0: the anti-cheese is amazing because it's not just, oh, they just cut out all of Jar Jar. It, it's it's not just that. It's like when the Nemoidians are talking, they change them from their borderline offensive Asian accents to actually – he actually edits in a completely different alien language and then puts in subtitles and changes the dialogue a bit. And just he just does little things like that through the movie that's like, oh, my God. This is yeah. actually – good to watch it's if you get a chance to see the D, the anti-cheese edition i know harl harloff is the one who originally turned me on to them and it was uh it's just it's really cool it's really cool you got to watch when you can all right next up isaac bb also writes um let's see star wars the specializes just, just showed off okay i think uh we just got that Empire and Jedi will will be getting the same treatment too at some point. Also, I just heard about the passing of Regis Philbin. He was a legend in the television industry for decades, and he will be sorely missed. I, you know, it's funny, Rob. I was it was last night, I stumbled across this news that said he passed away on Friday. I'm like, wait a minute, how did I, how did I miss this? That Regis Philbin like passed yeah. away. I mean, the guy was really the king of daytime talk. For a long time. And then, of course, he made Who Wants to Be a Millionaire a household name and stuff like that. And David Letterman, you know, said of him that he was really on Johnny Carson's level. He said Regis Philbin was on Johnny. He wasn't a comedian, a singer, a dancer. He was just a guy who was incredibly good at sitting down and communicating and talking and doing it in a fun and engaging yep. and entertaining way. And, um, just uh yeah it's it's shocking i'm not i'm not gonna pretend i was the biggest regis philbin fan in the world but you always knew that he was really good at what he did yeah and um uh, what was he 88 yeah i think he passed away at the age of 88 and that was a sad thing to hear thanks for bringing that up isaac okay next up superman steve writes wow i think i'm gonna get the opportunity to watch the hobbit trilogy again in cinema in august i only saw it once over uh ever in cinema and that's when it first came out you know what rob i i don't apologize for this Look, the Hobbit trilogy is a significant step backwards, quality-wise, from what The Lord of the Rings was. I still enjoyed them. Like, I remember watching the first one, especially in that scene when all the dwarves show up at Bilbo's house. And they start singing that song about breaking the dishes and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like remembering reading this. And then like a little bit later on when they did the barrel riding, because I remember reading that for the first time. And my my biggest criticism about the Hobbit, Hobbit trilogy was that the third part, the, the final part, was just all payoff. And it's like. You get this final... This is just an example. You get this final battle between the White Orc and uh, Oakenshield. And it's like, these are just two guys fighting because I haven't seen these two characters on screen building animosity for two years. It's been a couple of years since I've seen We haven't seen them in this movie in this time and place to set up the drama of that moment. And that's what I thought a lot about that third part. There was just a lot of action and a lot of the action is fantastic, but it's just all action... With no context and no setup because it was all done before, but it's been years since we've seen them. So it didn't give me that payoff, but I still enjoyed The Hobbit Trilogy. And Rob, what were your thoughts on The Hobbit Trilogy overall?
1: Yeah, I th- you know, look, I think, again, tonally, there's a lot of goofiness in it. You know, The the, the Hobbit was, wasn't nearly as serious a book as Lord of the Rings. I mean, Lord of the Rings is this apocalyptic end of the world stuff. But because a Lord of the Rings had come out first that I think the tonal changes in The Hobbit are are some of them are drastic, especially with the creatures like the goblins and the but. There's a lot to love in those movies, and and I have to say, like even the scenes when like the dwarves at the beginning, when they go meet Bilbo and they're like cleaning up all of his dishes and stuff. I, there's a lot of good stuff in those films. And I, I really like the desolation of Smaug. I mean, I, 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 there's, there's just cool stuff,
0: man. You know? And when they start singing that one, like they're in Bilbo's house, the misty mountains oh. call. And they're, they're singing that song. Like, Like, I just felt the atmosphere. So, yeah, again, major step backwards from the original trilogy, no doubt, probably was a mistake to break that book into three. I think at most it should have been broken into two. But to take the one book. uh, Anyway, we could talk about that for hours. Okay, next up. uh, Let's see. Chris Jordan writes. Um, I hope, hi, I hope you had a great weekend. Cinemas here in the UK are now getting some new releases. I'm seeing uh, St. Francis tomorrow and Unhinged on Friday. Yeah, and I think this speaks again to the whole overall fact that Tenet is looking at saying, like, yep, we're just going to release these films in the European markets that are going to be open, and we'll open it in the US on September 4th, and if not September 4th, then we'll release it whenever we can. But I think that's one of the reasons, and I think it's because a lot of the European countries have done a good job, not all of them have, to get themselves to this point. And I think that's great that you guys are getting rewarded by being able to see some actual new movies in the theaters, Chris. All right. Uh, Let's see. Chris Jordan also writes. Hey, John, hope you had a great weekend. I did have a great weekend, as a matter of fact. As well as the classic movies, UK cinemas are now beginning to show some of the new movies. Oh, yes. Was so, you're so passionate about it, you said it twice. I completely agree with that. All right. DJ Riley writes, hey, John and Rob, hope all is good. All right, John, you choose the proposal for the last one. Now out of the next three, which will you take? The Departed... Seven or 1917. I'm personally going 1917. Number three on my all time list. Listen, I love the 1917. I was blown away by 1917. I adore that film, but all day, every day I'm taking the departed. Um, Partially because The Departed is based on the original Asian film called Infernal Affairs, which is my all-time favorite cop movie, period. Not all-time favorite foreign cop movie. It's my all-time favorite cop movie, period. I thought what Scorsese did in translating that into a North American context, while being completely true and faithful to the original, was outstanding. So while I love Seven and I love 1917, I'm going to take The Departed. Rob, what about you? You got to pick out of those three, The Departed seven and 1917 which one do you take
1: uh, i really love seven but i have to tell you and 1917 is an amazing feat but the departed is just so damn entertaining i mean the actors uh was it sergeant dignan who who mark Wahlberg plays (laughs) i i (laughs) i like you i'm a huge internal affairs fan all all the internal affairs movies and i i I was I love The Departed. It's so much fun to watch cuz the characters and the performances. So I'm like you would I would take the I would take The Departed, but depending on what kind of a day you caught me on, I might pick 7 over over The Departed that's, once or twice a month. Only so because if I'm in more of a horror mood, 7 is such a beautifully made film. It's such a great script. But but again, like 1917, which is a great feat, but once you've seen it, I don't know if there's enough meat on those bones to come back again and again and again. But man, de- The Departed, every time I watch it, I think to myself, I forgot how good this movie actually is. It's really yeah. good.
0: Got, got uh, Marty Scorsese his first Academy Award for Best Directing. and won Best Picture. Got Mark Wahlberg his first nomination. Uh, he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor in that one as well. I just... Uh, so good. All right, next up. Emad writes, uh, Hey, John, I don't think anyone has brought this up yet, but I wanted to add my vote towards the Netflix show Dark. Of course, he's being facetious. Everybody always brings it up. And to add to your watch list. Fantastic show, and I highly recommend watching it in the original dialogue, German, and English subtitles. Well, it's funny you should mention that. Uh, Anne and I were talking last night. And we decided... We we're talking about our plans for today. We decided tonight, Anne and I are going to start watching Dark. So tonight's the night. Anne and I are going to, now that we've gotten through, because uh, she hadn't seen The Boys Season 1 yet. Now that we've gotten through The Boys Season 1, we're going to start on Dark tonight. So we'll see if I'm able to get through. Rob, I know you've said you've watched this show, right? And and you're Yeah, I've not it?
1: watched the final third season. It's pretty amazing. It's very dense, though. It requires an attention span. So there's a lot of interpersonal relationships with characters that are
0: a little bit tough to keep straight, but it's very gratifying. All right, uh, let's move on here. Next up, uh, Luke 1234 writes, now that you've watched The Last Jedi and have had time to reflect on it, uh, how would you now rank the Star Wars movies? For me, it's, I, I don't really like to do right, but I'll, I listen, for me, it's the original trilogy. The original trilogy is way up here, right? So that's where the original trilogy is. Then you get uh the new stuff. So, like the new stuff I still I think The Force Awakens is the best of the new movies. I, I love The Force Awakens. The next one up would probably would be uh Rogue One. Uh after Rogue One would probably be Solo. After Solo would be The Last Jedi, and then after The Last Jedi would be The Rise of Skywalker. So way up here, the originals, then down here you start off with the Force Awakens and then below that on the next tier down would be the prequels so that's uh that's where i would rank that stuff okay uh an anonymous viewer writes oh yeah it's right here uh sams uh, samsonite i was way off never gets old never i can't oh 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 oh. that was a uh, dumb and dumber i was gonna say what's that from oh there her name's samsonite it was right here the whole time okay i think that was dumb and dumber i almost almost lapsed on that all right thanks for that in man all right carnell b writes uh carnell sends in twenty dollars thank you so much for that carnell uh break Bad The Fly. The following is my recollection of the significance of the episode. I didn't get it at first until an episode later uh, in the season slash series. Forgiven accuracies, it's based on my first viewing memory. Uh, Jesse is kidnapped. He's taken to another lab where his captors want him to produce. It's unclear if he's capable alone. Jesse is sure he is dead. Then he conf- uh, confidently scolds his captors. He attacks the horrible condition uh, of the lab. In that moment, the, sig- the significance of The Fly hit me. Walt wouldn't cook because of a single fly. A fly was the least of the lab's problems. And Jesse's desperation, it's all he had to save himself. It's all subjective. Love the show. You know, I remember that episode too. I remember that episode very, very well. Uh, when he's like in that lab, and they're making him, um, they're making him cook down there, and he finally snaps back as they capture him, stuff like that. Again, to me, that episode of The Fly uh, of Breaking Bad was all about. Getting into the souls of the characters. Yeah. And, you know, Rob, I was bringing up the other day that what a lot of people forget was that show, they had gone over budget on Breaking Bad and they had to have an episode that basically costs no money that would have one location just go. And the, the fly was the result. And I still think it is one of the better um, episodes of Breaking Bad. I, I personally, I have it in my top five favorite episodes, maybe even top one or two. But anyway, Rob, th- your thoughts on what uh, Cornell was just saying there about uh, about the importance that comes back later on in the show? What do you think?
1: Well, I think absolutely correct. Uh, you know, that's what we they call in the television in- industry a bottle show, where you are only going to shoot on on a standing set for the episode. That's what keeps you don't have to go on location or anything like that. That episode is so innovative and just so interesting. And while it, it, it might appear to not be about the larger narrative, like you said, it, it it's about the soul of the characters and uh, definitely worth watching. I mean, not everything has to be about, you know, Gus Fring showing up and getting blown up.
0: <laughs> Although, <laughs> missing oh, that's, Gus I mean, Fring. That,
1: look, one of my favorite television moments in all of television history is when he walks out of after the explosion, and you, you think to yourself, oh, he's fine. How did he survive that? And then he turns his head and half of his face is gone. I, 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 that was amazing.
0: And more than I, that, half his face is gone and he still looks try, – he's trying to look dignified. Yeah. And he reaches up and adjusts his tie, adjusts uh, his shirt, and then falls over dead. It's such a good uh, scene. Unbelievable. All right. Let's keep moving on here. Uh, Alan writes – Hey, John, have you heard of the Dark Knight's Metal DC storyline? I came across YouTube videos about it, and it sounds amazing. Uh, You think this storyline could ever be adapted? Come over and join the winning team, Team Godzilla. Screw that. Uh, Also, release the campy cut. Rob, uh, I'm going to admit, I have not heard of the the Dark Knight's Metal storyline. I'm not familiar with it.
1: Do you know what it is? It's very very cool, but it's, I mean, there's like Hellraiser, Batman. I mean, it's really out there. And they're, they're doing another, they're doing an extension of the storyline. I think it's too, it's too off-brand. I mean, it's cool, but it's, it's really out there. And I think they've been doing everything they can to bring Batman, pull him back and make him more like a real world character. Um, I, I just, I don't know if audiences would accept it. It could be an awesome animated series, though, or an animated movie. You could do it like an Into the Spider-Verse kind of a thing. Then people would, I think, buy into it.
0: All right. Uh, next up here, uh, lecardo writes, Hey, John and crew, did you know that in Return of the Jedi that the, that Naboo was in the celebration scene at the end? Uh, they they're with the city with the green tops of buildings. I had always thought uh, they were only in the prequels. Thanks for all your hard work. Well, yes. Well, that was something that was added later. Uh, that, w- that was not in – well, that whole celebration uh, post the destruction of the second Death Star and Return of the Jedi, that whole celebration was not in the original film. In the original film, it's Yub Nub, the song that should still effing be there. Uh, It's Yub Nub and just everybody there in Endor celebrating with some fireworks going off in the skies as the X-Wings fly by. And uh, it's just it's fabulous. But yeah, the, I – listen. As much as I'm not a big fan of the special edition stuff, there are a few things about special edition that I do appreciate. And Rob, I know you and I have talked about this. Uh, for example, exterior shots of Bespin. I thought were really nice to add a little bit more context to the world you were entering. Um, but one of the other things that I do actually quite like, because I, I feel like narratively it's appropriate, is that when the second Death Star is destroyed, they do a quick pan around the galaxy. Yeah. To show the different worlds celebrating, and that's actually a part of it that I appreciate. But yeah, but keep in mind that was stuff that was added much, much later. Is there anything about the special edition? Because we were talking about that earlier, Rob. Is there anything about the special edition that does work for you that you do look and say, "Well, that was a good edition." I'm. Um, what do you think?
1: There's a yeah. There's a couple of shots like in Jedi. Like I, I like. There's one shot where you see a bunch of banthas. You know, in the in the early sequence with Jabba's sail barge and all that, which I, I was like, that's cool. You know, I, I like I like that kind of stuff. I do like, like you were saying, seeing outside the windows in, Be- in Bespin, you know, just a little bit more of the city. It, it's made more expansive. But for the most part, like especially in Star Wars, when they're rolling into Moss Eisley, Moss Eisley is now this bustling. It was a horrible like backwoods truck stop before. Now it's this big sprawling metropolis with Jawas riding Rontos. And when you get to the scene where you don't need to see his identification, these aren't the droids you're looking for. There's so much crap flying through the screen that the suspense of the actual moment, like of Ben Kenobi using his force powers like this for the first time on the weak minded, that's kind of been diminished by everything they did. So I'm, I'm not a fan of the special editions.
0: Alright, we move on now. Alvin the Chipmunk writes, in an alternate universe, would you rather see Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 4 or Mark Webb's The Amazing Spider-Man 3? Man, that's a that's a good question. Because the final installments of both of their runs were, were disappointing. You know, obviously Spider-Man 3, uh, which I thought was probably the worst of the Spider-Man movies. Uh, I love the first Amazing Spider-Man. That Mark Webb directed, but and and look, there are things to like about the Amazing Spider-Man 2. but it was a big, significant step backwards from there. I, I, at least with Raimi, we had a full three, so I'm going to say Mark Webb's Amazing Spider-Man three because I really because we got three films already with the uh, in the Raimi verse, and and I really enjoyed the first one. I love Spider-Man two that he did, mm-hmm. but I never thought. Webb was able to really follow up with, I thought, all the good work that was done in that first Amazing Spider-Man. I really like Andrew Garfield, and I like the dynamic him and Emma Stone had. Um, Actually, I hate, Rob, I hate romances in comic book movies. Hate, 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 hate (laughs) them. Only two I've ever really enjoyed in comic book movies. Uh, There are a number I don't hate, but only two I've ever really enjoyed. One is obviously Tony and Pepper. I love Tony and Pepper. And I loved that Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone, uh, Peter and Gwen relationship. I, I I thought whenever they were on – that was also the strongest part of The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Whenever it was them and their story, I loved it, which is weird because I normally hate that crap in my spy, in my uh, comic book movies. But I don't know, Rob, if you had to pick Raimi's Spider-Man 4 or Webb's Amazing Spider-Man 3, which one do you take?
1: I'm going to take Raimi because I really didn't like Amazing. I like The Amazing Spider-Man. But I really didn't like Amazing Spider-Man 2. I was so let down by it.
0: I think one of the other reasons I go um, Mark Webb's Amazing Spider-Man 3 is because while I really enjoyed the first one and while I loved the second one, I felt like Raimi's creative juices were running out on that property. Because literally in every single one of those movies, a villain kidnaps uh, Mary Jane – Dangles her from a high place as a as bait to lure in Spider-Man. Every single one of the three, the villain, kidnaps Mary Jane, dangles her from a high place as bait to lure in Spider-Man. I mean, like literally did the same thing in all three movies. And there are other examples of that that I felt like, I feel like Raimi's too much of a creative force. I feel like Raimi needs to not stay on one property for too long. I feel like to stay sharp and fresh, he needs to keep moving. And I, I felt like his Kind of creative juices had run out by the end of Amazing Spider-Man three, and here's the thing: everybody blames. Oh, well, that was Sony's fault because Sony made him put in Venom. Well, then make a good movie with Venom. There you go, done. That's your job. Okay, you got to put that character in. Great. Go ahead, put that character in and make Venom. There you go. See, I'm not saying it's easy. Making a good movie is incredibly hard. But, right. You know, Whedon, Whedon was in the kind of a similar situation with the first Avengers movie. He wanted Wasp. He had no plans of using Black Widow in that. And the studio came in. Kevin Feige said, no, kill that. Uh, we want Black Widow in this movie. So kill off, take out Wasp, put in Black Widow. It's like, all right. So then he made a good movie with the characters that they wanted. But <laughs> anyways, uh, th- there's a long discussion be had there. All right, let's keep moving on here. Alvin the Chipmunk also writes, It surprises me that companies like HBO and NBC are unable to properly release a streaming service these days uh, when they had plenty of time, resources, and are able to see how other streaming services were able to launch successfully. Well, I mean, uh, let's give them a little bit of credit here. It's not like they had 25 different examples of streaming services that really launched successfully. They had one. You know, Netflix had evolved over a decade Amazon Prime had slowly evolved over a long time. The only real example they had was one, which was Disney Plus. Um, so it is still fairly a new thing. So while I will say, yeah, I believe that that Peacock and HBO Max both completely botched their launches. Let's cut them a little bit of slack and saying is, it's not like there are 20 other examples of successful streaming service launches that they could glean from. It's still a relatively new thing. So I give them crap, but you also got to give them a little bit of credit. Cut them a little bit of slack at the same time. So uh it's not an easy thing. Launching a, a, a multi million, hundreds of millions of dollars nation worldwide streaming platforms. It's not like it's easy. And so we've got to give them a little bit of credit on that. All right, uh Il Postino, the postman, writes. In Empire Strikes Back, Admiral Ozl tries to convince Vader that the rebels aren't on Hoth. Then he pulls the Imperial fleet out of light speed too quickly, thus alerting the rebels to their presence. Was he really that incompetent, or was he a rebel spy? All right, here's my thoughts on this, Rob, and I've thought about this before. I want to know your thoughts. Not believing the rebels were on Hoth, you can't blame him for that. I don't think you can blame him for that because. I think if Vader wasn't able to sense it, I, I I don't think like all it was, was a single little power station and, and the Admiral was right. It could have been smugglers. It could have been whatever. It was a very small footprint. And so I, I don't really blame him for that. I think Vader just has, I mean, you know, he could sense it. Like that's it. That's the one that's where they are. Okay. With coming out of light speed, you know, it was a strategy he decided to employ, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna catch them by surprise. They'll throw up their shields, we'll land our troops, we'll go in and we'll wipe them out. And guess what? He was right. They 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 came out of light speed, caught the rebels off guard, they let the rebels put up the shield, no problem. We land our walkers outside of it, walk them in, wipe them out, then begin our aerial assault. And it went perfectly fine, exactly the way <laughs> his plan was. Uh so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut Admiral Ozl a little bit of slack there. I don't know, Rob, did you, what do you think about that?
1: Uh, it could be smugglers. It could be. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I, I gotta give it up for Admiral Ozzel. It was, it was Vader who made the mistake of killing him. Um, because like you said, the landing worked. They were, the, the power general generator will be down in moments. You may start your landing. <laughs>
0: yep. <laughs> they And they went all by of their, the mo- all their casualties, two walkers. That's what they lost. Yeah. They lost two yeah. walkers. That's a pretty successful military campaign.
1: Yeah. I mean, they they did exactly what they were supposed to do, and uh, things, went, things went swimmingly well for them.
0: Swimmingly well. All right, guys. Hey, listen. We're past uh, 1130 here, so we got to let Rob go so he can get on with his day. But, Rob, thank you so much for being here again, man. We'll, of course, see you again on here tomorrow. But in the meantime, where can people follow you and your adventures online?
1: Well, you can always find me on uh, Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work and my show, Rob the show about something.
0: All right, man. Thanks a lot for being here and we'll talk to you again tomorrow, my friend. All right. Take care. All right, guys. With that down, let's keep on going. We still got about 20 some odd minutes here. Let's see if we can't get through uh, as many of your questions here as we possibly can. All right let's keep rocking and rolling here hold on a second uh do 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 okay sorry just having a slight glitch all right here we go uh next up we're gonna go over to deshawn who writes did you hear about what the actor who played uh do you mean nobu you probably mean no, uh, Nobu uh, from Daredevil season one and, and two said about Joseph Loeb. It kind of confirms what I always thought about him and why it seems Feige never liked him. Nope. Guys, just a quick thing. Uh, this has happened some t- uh, a few times. If you're going to write in and ask me about a quote, make sure you mention what the quote is, because I feel bad now to Sean. Hey, did you hear about what he said? What do you think? I didn't hear about what he said. I I have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, You know, I haven't heard anything about Joseph Loeb or the actor who played Nobu in Daredevil. So I feel bad now because you asked a question and I want to answer it, but I I don't know what we're talking about and you didn't give me the context. So sorry about that, man. I, I apologize. All right, next up. Uh, James Germain writes, hey, John, I was wondering if you had a chance to check out Letter to the King on Netflix. It's a Lord of the Rings slash Harry Potter type of show. It has Andy Circus and David Wenham, who played in 300 and Boomer's brother. I would love to know your thoughts on it. Nope. And, you know, true to Netflix, Netflix is the worst network in the world, worst studio in the world of promoting their own stuff. I have never even heard of it. And I love Andy Circus." And David Wenham, I remember him very well from 300. I like that guy a lot, and I—you uh, guys know how much I adore Andy Circus—and I've never even heard of this. So unfortunately, chalk yet another one up to the. Bumbleheads at netflix marketing department for even somebody like me who's interested in this kind of content has never even heard of it so unfortunately no but thank you so much james for putting on my radar because i'm gonna go and check out see what that is all about because like again i'm all about andy circus for so thanks for letting me know about that all right adrian e writes hey john and rob i'm glad joaquin phoenix finally won his long overdue oscar for joker but if it was up to me I think Adam Driver should have won for Marriage Story. His performance was crushing and devastating. You feel the pain Charlie is feeling. Again, I'm not mad. Joaquin won. He really gave a great performance. But Adam's performance as Charlie is something that still amazes me no matter how many times I watch it. Like you say, John, that's the beautiful thing about movies. It's all subjective. And listen, Adam Driver's performance in Marriage Story was... It's career defining. I mean, it, it's remarkable, right? Like it's absolutely remarkable. And so, I, I listen. It's so good. Now, personally, I would have given the award to Joaquin Phoenix. Okay, but it's one of those situations where he was so good in that movie that Adam Driver was that if he had won, I wouldn't have had any complaints. You know, there might have been one or two other nominees if they want to go, hey, wait a minute over Joaquin Phoenix. And again, I still feel very confident in Joaquin Phoenix deserved to win that. But Driver was so good. And listen, Scarlett Johansson was so good. And, you know, one of the supporting actresses won the Academy Award for best supporting. All the performances in that movie were stupid. Good, including Scarlett's, including uh, Adams. If Adam had won even though he wouldn't have been my pick. I would have gone, yeah, I'm I'm good with that. Not my pick, but I'm totally good because he was amazing. He was absolutely amazing in that, Adrian. Thanks for bringing that up. Right, next up, an anonymous viewer writes, John, thanks for everything you do. Well, thank you, my friend. I know $5 ain't much, but it's probably enough to buy soda or a chocolate to get you through the day. I love your channel and appreciate the hard work you do. Thanks for everything. And Kong over Godzilla. Damn right, my friend. Team Kong. Um, Listen, man, seriously, thank you. It's, It's... It's always nice when somebody just wants to write in and say, just to say something nice and positive. And so I thank you for that, man, very, very much. And thank you for being here. And thank you for, you know, enjoying the show enough that you want to support it. So thanks so much for that, man. I appreciate that. Uh, And yes, Team Kong all the way. All right. Adam Hamlet writes, one of two uh one film me and my father never got to see in theaters before he passed away was superman the movie this weekend i went to see it with my four-year-old son i have seen it 50 plus times and love seeing it on the big screen my son oh so you got to see it in the in a local theater that's awesome my son cried when lois um that's one Okay, my son died when lois and he cried when Lois died and cheered when Superman turned time back and saved her. Sorry if this makes no sense as I tried uh, twice to send it. First part of the question and it said it failed, but money was taken. Um, Well, it came through, man. It came through. That's the important thing. Um, Yeah, listen, you got to understand there are people today who watch that Christopher Reeve, uh, Spider-Man, that Christopher Reeve Superman movie for the first time. And they watch it for the first time. And I've heard some people go, what's the big deal? Like, it doesn't hold up. Okay, I, I get that. It's a really older movie. It's for like from the 70s. I get it. It's an older film. I get it that in many ways, if you're going – if you are – if you're one of these people like me who've been spoiled by the golden age of comic book movies that we're in right now, when you're getting things like Man of Steel and Avengers and all that kind of stuff and Dark Knight – yeah, going back. But you got to understand, when that Christopher Reeve Superman came out, it was unlike anything that had ever been done before, particularly in the comic book genre. And, you know, the, the tagline of it was, you'll believe a man can fly. And when you go back to it, if you put yourself in that mindset that, remember, there was no golden age comic book movie yet. This is before... X-Men had come out. This is before the modern age of digital effects. This is back in a time when the idea of a comic book movie was laughable and nobody took it seriously. And when you look at that movie through those that lens and understanding the context in which it came out, it is remarkable what it did. And I think that's really powerful that you can watch that today with your son. First of all, it's great that you got to see it on the big screen. That's awesome. But you get to watch it today with your kid. And it can still make an impact on your kid, even though I think the flying around the world backwards to turn back time is ridiculous. But still, it can make an impact on a young viewer who had never seen it before. I think that's great, man. Thanks for sharing that, dude. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Isaac Beebe writes, I've heard you talk about Zevia. Yeah, I got uh, got my uh, Zevia right here, as a matter of fact. I've t- heard you talk about Zevia for ages, and I couldn't find it anywhere in Australia. Then I found Nexpa, which is an Aussie equivalent. It has no sugar, fructose, artificial, or preservatives, and it tastes really good. Yeah, for those of you who are always hearing me raving about uh, Zevia, uh, I was really addicted to soda. And I was drinking like two two-liter bottles of Coke a day. Then I realized how many calories that is, so I switched to Diet Pepsi. And then I realized, wow, there's a there's a lot of bad stuff these artificial sweeteners do to you. I should probably stop. But I still really have that, that urge for like soda. And somebody turned me on to Zevia that's got no sugar and it has no artificial sweeteners either. And uh, I've kind of become hooked on it. And uh, I, that's what you see me drinking out of my cup uh, every day. That's what I'm drinking. So. Xevia, sponsor me, you sons of bitches. Anyway, uh, I'm glad you're able to find something like that, Isaac. That's great. All right, next up, Damo Davies writes, so I went to see Donner's original Superman movie last night in the UK. Apparently, you're not the only one. Uh, Never thought I would see Christopher Reeve on the big screen uh, as God and nature intended. That damn right, man, as God and nature intended. That John Williams Krypton theme through the cinema as magic, though, though the cinema was magic. God, I love that movie. Listen again, I think if you're somebody... Who You're old enough to remember watching that movie when you were a kid. You have it imprinted in you, the magic and what that movie meant, and how special it was. Granted, I get people watching it for the first time today going saying, I don't get it, because we've gotten all this work that's come out since then. I get it. Maybe if it's the first time you're watching it, maybe it doesn't hold up. I I understand that. But again, I really think if you go back to that first Superman and you look at it in terms of Understand the context of the day when that movie came out and how magical it was for a lot of people. Yeah, listen, I get it. That Superman movie does not stand up today like, say, the original Star Wars does, at least in my opinion. But that doesn't take away from how incredibly unique and special it was in the context in which it came out. And I think for that reason, it will always be treasured. I think it's always going to be treasured. And I'm glad you had a chance to see it on the big screen again, Damo. That's awesome. All right. Uh, See, Damo's got duplicated there. Uh, Static Space Sean writes... I know 2001 A Space Odyssey is a classic but I just watched it and I have to say it's one of the most boring dull pointless movies I've watched I know Kubrick is one of the greats but I just don't see it uh, I just don't see it in this movie how do you feel about it listen I love 2001 I love 2001 is it in my top 20 favorite movies of all time no but I do love that film and I think there's a little something about 2001 that maybe shares the same kind of Um, Fate that the original Superman does I think maybe for a lot of people Who never watched it when they were younger And are just watching it today For the first time They're watching it out of context Right Because listen It's not just like thematically It's also narratively They did things in 2001 Which were really high level Narrative kind of stuff It's, you know, I heard Robert Meyer Burnett once referred to 2001 as thinking man sci-fi, which there was an era and that's what sci-fi really was sci-fi. I mean, there's always the the serial stuff, but sci-fi during that era could also be very heady and could also be high concept. 2001 is one of those things. And it really took sci-fi to a certain level. And again, I would encourage people who maybe are going to go in and watch 2001 for the first time. Before going in to watch it, prep yourself and put yourself in the frame of mind of understanding this is prior to, you know, Justice League. This is prior to the revolutionary visual effects that we have today. This is prior to Jurassic Park. This is prior to all that. This is prior to all these classic sci-fi movies that we've known in the last 20 or 30 years that have come out. This is before all of that. And put yourself in that frame of mind before you watch it. And then I think you'll probably have, you'll be in a better footing to pick up about why so many people consider it so special. But listen, at the end of the day, it's still just a movie. And as a movie, it's all subjective. Which means you may watch it and just not like it. Simple as that. And there's nothing wrong with that, man. That's the beautiful thing about film. All right, next up. Uh, Russell Amador writes, hey john not sure if you saw this but sometime uh, either late last night slash early this morning regal posted on their website again we did talk about this a little bit earlier uh regal posted on their website an advertisement for tenant with the new release date of november 4th or september 4th 2020 uh, do you think this is leaked news or a miscalculation well we now know it's official warner brothers is going to release tenant in late august in about 70 different countries and then over the labor day weekend here in the united states um I listen, I'm not American, so I don't know when the Labor um, when hey Google, when is the Labor Day weekend? Like Google. Okay, so so September seventh. So maybe the fourth. Maybe that's the first part of the, the Labor Day weekend. So September fourth. So yep, looks like it's absolute fact. Regal did a little leak. Regal did a little bit of a leak there, so uh, let's see if they're now. Remember, they've announced new release dates for Tenet before, and they've gone away. So let's see if they're actually able to keep it this time. All right, next up, uh, Juan writes: Hey John, Netflix just announced a Witcher spinoff series. We talked about that a little bit in, in the uh, a little bit earlier in the show, titled The Witcher: Blood Origin, taking place twelve hundred years prior to Geralt of Rivia. As a fan of the game and show, I'm extremely excited. Netflix is going all in on the Witcher franchise. Thoughts? I, I I take a little step back to saying they're definitively going all in. A second season of something is not yet to me all in. Right? Okay, they're gonna they're gonna do a Witcher season two, and they're gonna have Blood Origins. All together, that's three seasons of television. I so I wouldn't call it yet all in. Now. If they do The Witcher season two and they do Blood Origin and then they spin off two more Blood Origin type things and then they do a Yennefer spin off series and then a Witcher three and four and, and all, that, that all starts to happen, then we can say that Netflix is going all in on The Witcher. You know, Rob said a little bit earlier, and I agree with him, that you know, you want to be a little cautious and take your time developing you know, a, a cinematic universe, if you will. But I believe this is them being cautious. I think having the first season out came out ages ago. We know they're going to do a season two. And they've announced one limited series, a six episode limited series to come out sometime after that. I don't think that's rushing it. I think they are taking their time. I don't think they're getting ahead of themselves, but I wouldn't necessarily call it going all in on it just yet. But I'm excited because I mean, listen, I, I'm a little bit less excited because it's not Henry Cavill, right? We're not going to get Geralt of Rivia in it. So I'm a little bit less excited. But when you consider what a great job they did on season one of Rich, Witcher, why not be at least a little bit excited for this thing? So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. All right, uh, Stephen Johnson writes, hey, John, uh, how much would I have to tip to skip phoenix rising's question uh so apparently you and phoenix rising know each other because then phoenix rising writes well good morning also john my question is wait why skip my question it's about it's about the next superman movie so clearly you and i are are eavesdropping on a private conversation going on between steven and phoenix steven writes oh it's a superman question i love superman did we just become best friends a little bit of stepbrothers there best friends yep uh Thank you for letting us in on that conversation. Guys, appreciate that. But where is this next Superman question? I'm, now I'm curious. Sam Phillip writes, Hey, John, I was wondering, which hot toys do you have? I was thinking about buying one myself. Just be very careful buying hot toys because it can become addictive. Right? It's like me with uh, Pops. I never had any. Then my brother-in-law, Ray, bought me a couple and then all of a sudden I had two or 300 of them. Or hot toys. Now, Now, Pops are like, 10 11 12 bucks hot toys are like 200 to 300 dollars or more and i never had any hot toys and then i bought one and then all of a sudden i had four and i had to stop because it can become a little bit addicting so the ones i've got okay so i've got um i got Jorel from man of steel uh so i've got that i've got uh the alien queen from uh aliens i've got boba fett Um, And I've got a Henry Cavill Man of Steel. So those are the four that I've got. I've had a few others that I've given away, uh, but those are the four uh, that I have. And the reason I do not have four is because I cannot allow myself to own 40 because if I buy another one, all of a sudden I'll buy three more. And then, you know, ultimately the wife is, John, why are there... uh Why is $3,000 missing from our bank account? Oh, I don't know, honey. That's strange. Have no idea. What are those toys? Nothing. Nothing to see here. Don't worry about it, honey. Yeah, uh, I got to be very careful because you get into those things, man. You can get, go down a rabbit hole really, really fast. All right. Uh, uh, Evil John Campion writes, Hello, regular John. Uh, on my earth, Oscars have just announced that 2020 Oscars will be held in 1804. Do you think time-traveling Oscars is a cop-out? Thank you, John. I mean, think about it. Yeah, we'll do the Oscars, but we'll go to a year. We'll hold them in a year when there wasn't any COVID yet. I hate time travel in my movies, but time travel to get us the Oscars might be some creative thinking. That might be some creative thinking right there, Evil John. All right, John uh, Jordan Harper writes, Hey, John, uh, I have been a longtime fan. Thank you so much, man. Do you believe that movie studio heads listen to social media too much when making decisions? In sports, we hear this comment a lot. If you listen to the fans, you'll be sitting uh, up there with them. No, I think for the most, here's what I think a lot. I think sometimes what the studio heads and what the fans want align, and then the studios spin it as see we listen to the fans shut up that's what you're going to do all the time now look there are some rare exceptions when i think that's when that has been the case like for instance the sonic situation right i think that wasn't just pr spin of saying yeah look we listen to the fans 99 of the time when what the fans are asking for and what the studio does align it's because that's what the studio was going to do anyway but sometimes like the sonic situation Uh, I think it does align, but I think it's rare. So do I think it happens too much? No, I don't think it happens too much Um, because like I said, I think it's very rare and there are some bigger situations over the past, you know, 10 years or so that you could maybe point to, but a number of those, I think, well, that's what the studio is going to do anyway. So yeah, I I, look, Kevin Feige is a great, is a great example that Kevin Feige has his finger on the pulse of the fandom. But then understanding the pulse of the fandom, he makes his own decisions about what he thinks is best for the MCU and sort of he finds that balance. So it does happen, but I think it happens a lot more rarely than you think. And therefore, no, I don't I don't think it happens too often. It's a great question, Jordan. Well well asked. All right. Chris Warden writes, good morning, John. Good morning, Chris. I just wanted to wish a happy birthday to the original Wonder Woman, Linda Carter, 69 years young and still a smoke show. What, I thought her birthday was like a few days ago. Uh, either way. Yeah, because I think Linda Carter and what didn't didn't somebody write in that Linda Carter and Patty Jenkins had the same birthday? Hold a second. Uh. Uh, Linda Carter birthday or is it actually today no yeah it was a few days ago yeah it was on the 24th but hey happy belated birthday to Linda Carter anyway she kind of set the standard for comic book material on television uh, being Wonder Woman uh, okay uh, then again there's a couple of duplicates have come in today so there's another duplicate J Meister 25 writes not surprised about the Oscars not being performed in 2021 how many films were released this year 10 well I mean more films than that but films that were actually notable, yeah, it's small. Remember, there are there are movies coming out every week. We just don't know about all of them, or we don't talk about all of them. So there were more than ten films that came out, uh, significantly more. But only ten that were really notable. And by the time we do get tenant, whenever that is, we'll have had six or seven months of no movies coming out. So again. It's not definitive. There have been no announcements that they're not going to have Oscars for 2021. It's just saying that even though just a month ago, that wasn't even a consideration. Today, according to my source, today it's being seriously discussed. And it's just a matter of when, unless things drastically change. So let's see how that all kind of works out. But, but make no mistake, it's not an official thing at this point. Let's be very clear about that. It's not an official thing. All right. Again, in another duplicate. All right. Uh, Derek uh, Rita writes. Hey, John, one of two, we have a local theater allowing people to rent out a showing of a movie of your choice. I rented it out for my son, who is a huge Jurassic Park fan. We watched Jurassic Park one. Uh, and yeah, that's the cool thing. See, there was, there are a couple of services even in North America that they have a huge selection of movie theaters they work with and a huge library of movies that they've made deals with studios that they can exhibit. So what happens is with one of these companies, you say, I want to hold an event on July 30th. I want it at this movie theater and I want to show this movie and you go through their catalog to show which movie theaters they work with. And it's a ton and which movies they have access to. And there's a lot may not be everything, but they have a lot. And say, yeah, I'd like to book that theater on that day to show this movie. And then they'll say, great, now you sell tickets for it. And as long as you sell this many tickets, 25, 30, whatever, then the the booking gets locked in and you don't even have to pay anything extra for it. It's a really cool system. You guys should go look that up. If you're curious in doing something like what Derek just did. All right. Next up, uh, Canada rocks rights. FYI, Olivia De Havilland did not win best supporting uh, uh, Oscar for gone with the wind. Uh, Hattie McDaniel did to become the first African-American to win any Oscar. Olivia won best actress for to each his own and the heiress. Hold on a second. Let me bring that up again. I, you are absolutely right about heiress. She won best lead actor for heiress. Um, she absolutely won Best Lead Actress for for the, uh, for Eris. Let me just bring this up again. I know uh, Hattie won for um won for Gone with the Wind. Oh no, I I was mistaken. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It was she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress along with uh with Hattie. Absolutely. for, for whatever reason, I had in my head that they both won the award. Because Oscars have done different things in different years. I had in my head that they both won the award, but no, you're absolutely right. I knew about the heiress so that she won for Best Lead Actress. Her other win was to each his own in 1946. Absolutely right. Well pointed out, Canada Rocks. Well done. This is one of the good things about having a community of people here is that if I drop the ball on one little fact, there are other people there to pick it up. I appreciate that, man. All right. Um, Derek Scott duplicated again. Um, uh, here's 10. Oh, he's 10. Your son's birthday was 10. So you never got to see, I uh, never thought you'd get to see Jurassic Park in theaters. What a cool experience. Again, being able to go in and watch these movies on the big screen, the way, as somebody wrote in earlier, the way God and Nature intended is the best way. And Jurassic Park is one of those movies that you got to see on the big screen. It's great on your TV, but it ain't nothing like watching it on the big screen. So I'm glad you were able to do that. All right, next up uh, Demetrius uh, Deenda writes. I honestly think that the John Campbell's show would be a great addition to G4, and I also think uh, that with Attack of the Show possibly returning, I hope Chris Gore uh, would return to bring you DVD Tuesday segment. That probably it would probably be probably be VOD Tuesday now, not DVD Tuesday. Much love, campia Let's get filthy with it. Yeah, I I don't I don't think I'd want to put my show on G4. Not that I don't love G4, I totally do, but. I don't think they could afford to pay me enough to shut down my YouTube channel to go in G4 when, for all I know, G4 is going to last a year and I'm going to scrap my YouTube channel to go and do that for a year. And listen, some people don't believe me when I tell them, but, oh, believe it, I've had offers to do things with the John Campia show at certain outlets. Um. And I mean, I never mentioned the outlets because I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. But part of it has been like, okay, that's cool. But I don't know if this thing you're doing is going to last. And I'd be taking an insane risk to shut down something I've been building for a few years and that I do quite well with. And I have paid employees and I'm able to pay and pay their salaries and all that kind of stuff. It would be kind of foolish of me to pull that to uproot all that to go and do something like this and G not that G4 has asked me they don't even know who I am I'm an effing nobody but I've I've been approached by certain places about doing stuff like that and you know I've talked to Ann about it and Anne and I we always consider it and, and think it through but it's like either number 1 it was a situation where I would lose all creative control. It's like, well, I'm not going to do that. Or number two, it was a situation where I did get to keep most creative control, not all of it, but most of it. But it would also mean shutting down my YouTube channel for something that I didn't know if it was going to last six months. And so it's always kind of one of those weird, so there, I'm pulling back the curtain lane. You guys see a little bit of behind the scenes stuff, but there's that. Because I've been I've been burnt by that before, right? I've been burnt by that before. Uh, One example of of me being burnt by that was with Comic-Con HQ that was run by Lionsgate. And I really liked the people. I I enjoyed the people I worked with there very, very much. I bought into their vision and I kind of stopped what I was doing to go and start up this thing with Comic-Con HQ being the the new streaming network that was run by Lionsgate. They asked me to come over and start this thing and I did. But Comic-Con HQ didn't last. You know, they had canceled every, every, they had launched with like eight shows. Mine was one of them. And by the time we pulled the plug on mine, mine was the last one they had pulled, they had canceled all the other seven shows. Our was the last one still running and going. And then we just ran out of steam on that one too. And it's like, okay, so that was a big risk that didn't pay off. So I've kind of been bitten in the ass by that before. And so now, you know, once bitten, twice shy. So I'm now, these days, I'm really, really, don't get me wrong. If like Warner Brothers came to me and said, "Hey, we want a weekly John Campion show on HBO Max." Uh and we'll give you a guaranteed 3 years and blah blah blah. Well, of course I'll pro- I'd probably take that. Let's not be silly. Let's not be silly. I'm not going to be one of these, "No, I'm an artist. The art come No, no, no. Like if Warner Brothers came to me and said, "3-year contract a weekly John Campion show whatever on On HBO Max, do you want to take it? Hell yes, I'd take it. I'd I'd probably take that in a heartbeat, but... But most of the other situations, and I think a G4 would be a different kind of thing. Uh, Anyway, guys, listen, there are still a few questions to go. However, we have gone over time. So listen, for everybody from Brian, Jesse, Anonymous, uh, Pineapple on Pizza, do not worry. We're going to start tomorrow's show with your questions. We're going to kick off tomorrow's show with your questions. Your questions will be the first one to get asked tomorrow. So make sure you guys come back and join us for that. But in the meantime, guys... Thank you, everybody, for being here and making this show a part of your day. Special thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for being here. He will, of course, be back again tomorrow. And a special thank you to all of you guys who sent in the live questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, it's because you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here, thank you for that. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campion. Until tomorrow's show, bye-bye.